This is Let Your Voice Be Heard, right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Guys, and welcome to Let Your Voice Be Heard, right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Yes, the voice of Harlem. Good morning, guys. Good Good morning, morning. beautiful people. Oh, hi, Selena. You're also here. (laughs) Anyway, guys. Um, I want to kick the show off by saying I'm happy to be here. Happy Sunday. And my name is Selena Hill. On Instagram and Snapchat, it's Miss Selena Hill. And I spell it with an MS. And you can follow me on... No, no, no. Snapchat is S.Hill2020. Why do you always tell people you spell Miss with an MS? Because a like lot of people it? misspell it and put M-I-S-S. Why would a lot they do of that? People. I just say Ms. And then it's implied that's an MS. Right. Instead of Miss. <laughs> If you Ms. if you're hearing Ms and you're Ms. spelling it M I S S, then that's a them problem, not a you problem. Yes. Yeah. And the, MR, the misses that means you're married, right? Or quote unquote, you're spoken for, right? Supposedly, I don't know. You know, yeah. I don't Ms. get caught up in those uh, yeah. but then, niceties. And then some people, if I say Ms, a lot of people are gonna misinterpret that to mean M Z. What? That's, a lot oh. of people do that too. Oh, because they're <laughs> stupid. I get it. Stanley. What? I mean, speaking of Stanley. Did you what want to introduce yourself? That was the weirdest segue. My name is Stanley Fritz. You know me because I've been here for damn near three years at this point. And if you don't know me, maybe I've been doing a bad job. I love three things. Jesus Christ. Just kidding. I do love Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ, PBR, and Ben Carson, 2016. I can't stand you. And if you want to be a real American, say no to immigrants, say no to equal rights for black people and women, and say yes to Ben Carson. You can follow me on Twitter <laughs> at DarkSkinSwindle, on Instagram at DarkSkinSwindle, or on Snapchat DarkSkinSwindle. My bad. I changed my Twitter name because I want to be more like a white American man. It is Stan Fritz, America. You done now? Nice. Never you done, done. now? <laughs> And my name is Alyssa Fuchs. You can find me on Facebook, facebook.com slash Alyssa Fuchs slash living lifestyles, flourish and famous. No, not really. Um, and at Alyssa Fuchs on Twitter, um, that's with an I. I actually have to tell people that one because otherwise they'll just think it's with an A. You can um, or you can find me on the uh, Politically Preposterous fan page. Um, and living lifestyles of the rich and famous. <laughs> so, <laughs> Ow, oh my God, let me turn my when Stanley's on. not giving me Selena, nonverbal threats. No, guys, Selena okay. asked me to turn my my uh, mic up. I turned it up. She looks at me and goes up. I turned it up again. Because she, she turned up. up every other mic. <laughs> no, I was doing my mic the entire time. So then we would like like silently yelling at each other so yeah. we wouldn't interrupt Alyssa's and segment. And then Stanley like and verbally right like non-verbally threatened me. I did not non-verbally threaten her. I like hey. gave an exasperated um look with my body. But because I'm black, it looks threatening, huh, Selena? It looked very threatening. Uh, it seems legit. Did you see South Park this week? Oh my Can god! We talk about that for South like a half Park a second. Is amazing. It was amazing. It was. Oh my god! I'm loving it so much. It makes me look at myself and what so I get. You, you got maple about. fever. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't watch it, guys. Celine Celine is totally out and of so is so many listeners. Okay, they they went after Trump, and it was great. It was totally oh. great. Basically, they, they, they went to Caitlyn Jenner too, and it was hilarious. Yeah, but they oh, they didn't that. go after Caitlyn Jenner for the gender stuff. They oh, went no. after her like they would go after any celebrity. So for, for being a like for being, a, <laughs> it was so funny. Every time she drove in her car, she'd run somebody over. I was like, oh my! Oh God. yeah, because she did <laughs> but, do that. I mean, the premise of the episode was, uh, you know, that stuff aside, it was all about how Canadians were leaving Canada to come to the U.S. not because they wanted to be here, but because. They had elected a guy who just said whatever he wanted to say all the time, kind of like Donald Trump, Mm. and that it had totally gotten out of hand. And that the moral of the episode sort of was like, be careful what you wish for and be careful who you vote for, because if you don't like this could happen to you. And that was a direct shot at the state of 
our election cycle right now with oh, Trump and about how like basically that's exactly what happened in Canada. They just let this person keep talking and they, it went too far. So it was awesome. Speaking of things going too far today, we're going to start off the show speaking about the homelessness crisis, which is definitely gone too far. Why in don't they LA. just get jobs? <laughs> if it was only that simple, it right? Is. It really isn't. And we have a great guest calling in um, from the National Alliance to End Homelessness. Uh, we have the vice president of uh, policy and programs. He'll be calling in and we'll be talking about that issue. And then later on in the show, we'll be speaking about the cost of prescription drugs in light of the fact that, um, can we say... I just said it. So <laughs> I whispered it though. No, but I, you I said it live it. on the mic. So no, I kind of whispered it though. But a everybody heard it. Did you hear it? I Stanley? had my mic off and I heard it, Selena. Stop it. Oh, God. <laughs> well, we'll talk about this. The former hedge fund manager who uh, boosted up the price was on AIDS drugs. And then, you know, it caused a, a total outrage. And um, basically, it just led us to say, like, well, why is the cost? Why are the costs of prescription drugs so expensive in the first place? I mean, if you're dying from a terminal disease, why can't you get your why can't you get access to these drugs? Why does it have to drive so many people in America into bankruptcy? It just doesn't make sense. So we're going to talk about that. And then later on the show, Alyssa will be breaking down the Real ID Act. Can you give us a brief synopsis? Yeah. So basically, uh, you've probably been hearing a lot about this this week, that if you live in uh, one of, I guess it's four or five states, uh, actually I should say four states and one territory, you might need a passport or an enhanced driver's license to fly domestically, meaning within the United States starting next year. Um, That comes from this act of 2005 known as the Real ID Act, and that may or may not actually come to fruition, this needing a passport if you're coming from one of those states. But I'm going to give you all the details about that, about what the Real ID Act is, why you might need a passport to fly domestically, and you know what you can do and what people are saying about this. I almost got caught with that, actually, um, mm. two weeks ago when I was in California. When I was flying out, I stopped um, by check-in, and they wouldn't accept my New York State ID. Oh, well, that's actually weird because this hasn't gone into effect yet. So maybe they were just stopping you for some other reason because it probably wasn't this. This doesn't launch until next year. It could have mm-hmm. been because you were black. It could have been, but they accepted my city college ID. Oh. That's really weird. Yeah. Really? Stanley always has the craziest, most ironic stories. That's not ironic. That's just like a thing that happened. No, it's, that's really ironic that they accepted your city college ID rather than your state ID. Is that irony? Yes. I don't know. That's how you define irony. um, One night I went out and I accidentally left my driver's license home. I don't know how, but I happened to have my lawyer ID. And it's a New York State issued photo ID and it has my birthday on it. And I went to the bar and the guy looked at it and he was like, what is this? And I was like... It's a New York State issued attorney ID. And he was like, huh? I was like, listen, you have a sign right there that says New York State issue IDs or other state issue IDs. This is a New York State issued ID. It doesn't say driver's license. And did they accept it? Yeah, yeah, finally. I had to, like, talk my way in, but eventually. Well, you're good at that. Um, So, guys, we're actually going to go on a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to explore and talk about the homelessness crisis all the way from L.A. to New York City, across the nation. Don't go anywhere. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. I wake up in the morning, all I think is flip. Count a couple hundreds, flip a couple, couple. Selena called me yesterday. I was hungover, so I banged it on her like, ooh, 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 ooh. All right. Thank you, Stanley, for the remix non-version um, of that 
Rich Quam song. Ooh, ooh, ooh. All right, guys. So we're back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. And as I mentioned, we're starting the show off talking about the homelessness crisis across the nation. And the reason why is because L.A. actually declared a state of emergency to deal with the crisis. So there are currently currently 26,000 homeless residents in Los Angeles today. So in wake of what's what's going on and all these people who are not only sleeping in sk- on Skid Row, but across the city, uh, the L.A. City Council declared the state of emergency calling for $100 million to tackle the issue. And L.A. Mayor Eric um, Garcetti also unveiled his own plans to help the city's homelessness population, which has grown about 12% since he took office in 2013. So it's only been growing and skyrocketing. In addition to the immediate one-time acts of $100 million uh, for the funding proposal, the mayor is also asking for $100 million to fund a foundation to fight homelessness and establish permanent housing options. They also want to increase the amount of time that homeless shelters are open. From my understanding, they open them in like the winter months or the cooler months, but you know, that's cut down when the weather breaks. Uh, in the short term, the mayor wants to um, allocate about $13 million in emergency funding to grow homeless shelters, I mean, homeless services and housing. The plan also calls for fast tracking of a special streamlined process for affordable housing. And it makes it easier for nonprofits and faith and um and um, faith centers like churches and mosques to operate shelters um, and also to open up the possibility for a Los Angeles for the Los Angeles Homeless um, Service Authority to use city faculties for the same purpose. So it's a lot of different things that the mayor wants to do with all of this money. Um, but also, um, we'll talk about that. But if you look across the nation in places like New York City, where we are here in Harlem, we have 40 over 40,000 homeless people in New York. Right. And the the. The, the population in the shelters has also increased since de Blasio took office two years ago. We have, um, I think it peaked at 60,000 last winter, and right now about 57,000 people reside in homeless shelters here in New York City. Not to mention the number of people that are homeless that are actually at Rikers Island right now because yep. they've been accused of committing some petty crime and some minimal bail, well, even a $500 bail has been set on them that they can't make. And so if you also, actually Rikers Island is one of the largest homeless shelters or facilities that we have here because of the sheer number of homeless people being housed at Rikers Island, which if you don't know, if you're listening to us nationally or internationally, is actually a jail. It is not, in fact, a homeless shelter. And so that really says a lot of something about this city where we have so few beds for homeless people as our shelters are packed um, and that we're now housed people at Rikers, which actually costs us a whole lot more money than if we were just provide these people with housing. And having worked, oh, having worked at the city council, I can tell you guys, it is not easy to get into a shelter. Mm. Even for just one night, you have to have proof you were homeless. Homeless, Literally, you have to have someone there and say, I saw this person sleeping in the street. And they may let you stay for one day, but some programs, they will go as far as sending you to another state so that you're not there. And also, if you are in a homeless shelter and let's say you get caught like committing some kind of minor crime, even, even just an allegation, if you have a case pending and you're like, no, I didn't do that, sometimes that can be enough to trigger um, your eviction from the shelter and put you back out on the streets. Right. 
Right. No, I mean, it's definitely a messy situation. Um, and not only in New York City and L.A. is this happening, but you have places like Washington and San Francisco. And a lot of a, a lot of the reason falls on the fact that there's a rising housing cost across the nation. And also, as you know, income inequality, um, it plagues people who live in poverty or, you know, can barely make their rent uh, already. It's just hurting them more. And it's 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 leaving them with literally no place to live, no shelter. So we have on the line with us Steve Berg. He is the vice president for programs and policy at the National Alliance to End Homelessness. And we're inviting him on to the show right now so that he can join this conversation and we can speak about what's going on in L.A. and, of course, uh, across the nation. Good morning, Steve. Right. Good morning. Thank you all for having me on. No, we appreciate you being on with us to talk about this issue. And, you know, we talked I talked about some of the factors fueling the growth of homelessness in L.A. Uh, From my understanding, it's the shortage of affordable housing, the lack of emergency shelter. But I wanted to ask you what exactly is going on, because we see it rising um, in the last two years. And we're up to like 26,000 residents who just don't have a place to sleep or, or who have chosen to sleep on the streets. So what's going on in L.A.? Well, we're at—I mean, in LA, it's similar to what it is the situation in the whole country. We're at a critical point in this whole issue of homelessness. I mean, we we had a number of years where the number of people living on the street, living in shelters, was actually going down around the country, mainly because people working on homelessness at the local level were figuring out new ways to deal with the problem and and focusing much more on getting people into housing. I mean, that you know it. It seems pretty simple, but it's taken a long time for people in this field to get that the solution to homelessness is actually housing. And there's housing out there, and if you pay for people, if you pay for people's rent, then they won't be homeless anymore. And somebody just mentioned the cost to taxpayers of leaving people homeless. I mean, in the long run, if you don't want to house homeless people because it's the right thing to do, house homeless people because it's cheaper for you as a taxpayer. And I think... You know, that has been catching on around the country. But right now, going up against that is the rising cost of rent in a lot of places. I mean, New York, Los Angeles, these are places where rents have been going up a lot lately. We're at a point in the economy where, you know, it's it, there are more jobs, but the jobs haven't reached their way down to people at, at the, you know, the bottom of the labor market. I mean, that sounds crude, but it's it's people with the the least skills who can command the least money in, you know, on the labor market. So they're getting priced out of the rental market. I think more and more of them are, are going to be homeless. The, the solution is to keep going with these rehousing efforts that people have done. I mean, shelter is important because people have to be safe, but really the answer to homelessness isn't shelter. The answer to homelessness is housing. Right, guys, if you're just tuning in, we have on the line with us Steve Berg. He is the vice president for programs and policy at the National Alliance to End Homelessness. And if you have a question or a comment, you want to call in. The number is 212-650-6903. You can also tweet us at BeHeard underscore radio. Um, so, Steve, you know, um, some of the other, you know, I'm, I'm glad that you put so much emphasis on the rising cost of rents, um, you know, income inequality, also unemployment. Another big factor of homelessness is mental health. And I wanted to add that in because um, from my understanding, you know, if 
if people do not have access to medication or, you know, they don't have access or resources to stay in a certain institution or, you know, either their family can't afford it or, you know, just because of how the mental health system works in general, they a lot of them end up on the street. So mm-hmm. that's one of the underlying factors. And even here in New York City, when I, you know, when I've spoken to homeless people or some of the homeless people that I know, they do suffer from a mental illness and they choose. You know, a lot of them say you I rather live out on the street either because they have this mental illness and they rather, you know, self-medicate with drugs or like synthetic marijuana, which is going on a lot here, especially in East Harlem. Um, so I wanted to talk about that issue. How do you see um, that connected, like the, me- the mental health problem that we have here in America? How is that uh, connected to homelessness? Well, it's absolutely connected. I mean, we've known this for a long time that, that people with mental illness are more likely to become homeless than people without mental illness. But one, because in order to stay housed, you have to have a job and have income that's enough to pay rent. It's very hard for people with severe mental illness to hold down a job. Even if they are getting some kind of benefits, the benefits are usually, the disability benefits are usually like not really enough to pay rent, um, especially in a a difficult rental market like New York City. And then the, the, the mental illness also makes it harder to deal with landlords, deal with roommates, that kind of thing. So it, there's always been a big connection. The, the, the other side of that, however, is that I talked before about how it's, it's, it's more expensive to leave people homeless than it is to pay for their housing. Right. For people with mental illness, this is, this is the most clear. That, that, that fact is the most clear for people with severe mental illness. We are costing taxpayers lots and lots of money by leaving people on the streets. It would be far cheaper for all of us to pay for people's housing, to provide them with mental health treatment. There's this model that came out of the homeless system called permanent supportive housing that's really exactly what people with mental illness need. It's, it's with severe mental illness. I'm talking schizophrenia, severe bipolar disorder, uh, they need help affording rent, and they need the kind of health services that will work with them to help treat these illnesses. This is what permanent supportive housing does. It's a it's a it's a great thing that was sort of invented in the homeless system, and a lot in in New York City. A lot of the best models of that came out of New York City, but it's it's just a matter of. The money is not yet on the table to provide it at the scale that's needed to get everyone with mental illness off the street. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense. I actually just wanted to add something about that. So, um, you know, we're talking about money and about fiscal costs, and you have a lot of people that say that, oh, I'm fiscally conservative, right? I want the government to spend less money. And as our guest just points out, the government spends even more money when you have uh, a high level of homelessness than they would if they were to otherwise provide people homes, which I'm going to get to in a second. But another thing that's kind of absurd about that is that the same people are saying that they want to be fiscally conservative and spend less money are also saying, let's op- let's repeal Obamacare, the Affordable Care Act, which is the largest expansion of in you know mental health coverage. Essentially, the uh, Affordable Care Act says that you can't be turned away for having certain mental illnesses as pre-existing conditions and that 
mental health has to be covered like physical health. But, you know, just wanted to point that out. Second thing about that, and um, I know we mentioned a bunch of the different models, and I know Stanley wanted to potentially ask a follow-up question about this, but one of the models that we see where they're providing people homes is in Utah. And what they found is, at least from what I can tell, is that, one, it has cost Salt Lake City way less money than had all these people been incarcerated or otherwise, you know, dealt with through the shelter system. And two, the people who they provide homes for in these these dormitories, which are way nicer than, you know, single room occupancy housing, way nicer than just being in a shelter situation. Um, these people eventually get jobs um, and they're able to and with some support, they're able to sometimes move out of this system and actually afford their own apartment for the first time. So it actually eventually ends homelessness for this person. And if you could do that for more people, then you could get closer and closer towards ending homelessness altogether. Not to mention the fact that some people that are homeless actually work, have jobs. No, you're absolutely right, Alyssa. And on that note, we do have to take a break. But Steve, don't go anywhere. And if you're listening, don't go anywhere because we'll be right back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. You gonna make me go out of my way. I waited four days where y'all at. I drove here. Put it gram, oh, no. Snapchat, cut you do it all the time. What? Woo! That was horrible. Easy. That was really I bad, like Stanley. That rhyme. What? No, she didn't. We are back on Let Your Voice <laughs> Be Heard. It did it. On it's 90.3 it. FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. You hear my haters. They can't escape us. They can't escape the greatness. They call oh my the God, Don't quit your day job. Ooh, easy. Yeah, yeah, Stanley. Um, you Meek might, Mill bars. We need you Not really. much better as an activist than as a rapper. No offense. I'm but sorry. if you do become a famous rapper, I totally want to live lifestyles in the rich and oh, famous Oh, we're so going <laughs> to get so much rapper fun, bro. You don't even know. And have people give us free booze all yeah. the time. Selena's not invited. What? Oh, my. OMG, Stanley. You're going to stop us from doing bad things and being immoral. What? All right. Anyway, guys, so we're back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. We are speaking with Steve Berg. He's the vice president for programs and policy at the National Alliance to End Homelessness. And if you're just tuning in, we've been speaking about the state of emergency that has been declared in L.A. in light of the 26,000 people who are homeless just in that city. And it also it's reflective of what's been going on across our nation for the last few decades where we have uh, income inequality, rising unemployment, skyrocketing rents, and a mental health crisis in our country, and it's all contributing to homelessness. And I understand that Stanley wanted to piggyback off of what Alyssa was saying before we went to break. Yeah, so, um, you know, as I was working on my rap lyrics, I stopped for a second to listen to Alyssa, and I know that she kind of mentioned um, Utah, and I wanted to ask Steve about that because I know that they... Um, they started to implement some of the things you're talking about where, like, mm-hmm. instead of focusing on shelters, they're focusing on housing the homeless. And I wanted to know, how successful has that plan been for them so far? Is it working? Do we have any hard numbers that we can re- reference to? Yeah, it's It's been very successful. I mean, people in Utah are very happy with how things are going. Um, the, we don't have, like, real recent numbers on on how many people are still living on the streets, but everyone seems to agree that the number is going down. And it's, it's, it's a simple thing. It's what I talked about before. It's like you pay for people's housing, they will get off the streets. I mean, we, we talk, someone was talking before about how homeless people don't always want to go into the shelters. They'd rather stay on the street. Um, when you offer real housing to people, it's very rare that someone will, will turn that down, especially if it's done in a way that's respectful of them and really is 
set up as part of a program that really meets their needs. And that's what they've been finding in Utah. That's what they've been finding in places all over the country. Let me ask you, just as a follow-up to that, uh, Utah, you know, I, I agree with you, but just to play devil's advocate for a half a second, there are a bunch of people out there that say, okay, well, it works in Salt Lake City, Utah, because it's a small city and yeah. it's got a small population, but it wouldn't work in L.A., it wouldn't work in New York City, um, it wouldn't work in a big city at all because there's just too many homeless people, there's not enough space to house them, there's not enough money, it would cause taxes to go up too high. Um, is that, you know, do you actually find that to be true or do you think that's just, you know, I guess I'll call it right-wing rhetoric because it's mostly people on the right that are saying that they're like, oh, I don't want my tax money going to this and it's going to cost more money and, you know, it won't work. So can you just address maybe what we yeah. could say to those people? For, for sure. And it's, it's not just right-wing. We hear this from people whose politics are all over the place, but they just don't get mm. what the realities of this situation are. The realities of this situation are, yeah, there's more people in New York than there are in Salt Lake City. So there's more homeless people in New York than there are in Salt Lake City. So the scale of the problem is much bigger in New York or Los Angeles or Chicago or Houston than it is in a smaller place. Um, that being said, it's still the fact that taxpayers are paying more money to leave people on the street. So the people who are concerned about, oh, the taxpayers' money should be much should be the biggest fans for permanent supportive housing and for getting homeless people off the street and into housing. Um, because in in the not very long run, or really in the very short run, it saves taxpayers' money. You were talking about people in jail because they're homeless. This is something that has been seen all over the country. People with mental illness in particular who are on the streets end up in jail for, you know, minor offenses, but it's, it, it's I, I think sometimes the police or the people who run the jails feel like the people are better off in the jail than they are on the streets. But this is costing taxpayers incredible amounts of money because the jails aren't set up to deal with mental illness. Um, if that's why a model like permanent support housing works better for the people, and it also works better for the taxpayers. Steve, about permanent supportive housing, you mentioned it uh, before we went to break. Can you elaborate on, on, on why you said, like, this is a model initiative that you're confident has worked and will continue to work, but you're saying there's just not enough resources to implement it? Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, permanent supportive housing as an, an answer to homelessness, particularly among people with severe mental illness and other kinds of disabilities, this really started to emerge in a in a big way in like back in the 1990s this is not a new kind of approach it it's new that people are talking about trying to implement it at at scale doing it for everyone who needs it but but in in new york city is actually the first place where there was very solid research done by people at the university of pennsylvania showing that what I said, that if you provide permanent supportive housing for people with mental illness who are on the streets, you can basically do it for free because the city will save so much money on shelters, save money on jails, save money on emergency mental health treatment. Right. Um, and Steve, I wanted to, you know, 
bring it back to uh, you know what's going on in LA and even actually across the nation because a, a lot of times people look at homelessness as a health safety safety and aesthetic problem right and you have business owners um, who are you know who will constantly say like you know I can't have a homeless person sleeping in front of my shop because it turns off my uh, potential customers especially if that person has a mental illness and they might be acting erratically what do you like in a quest for you know clean and attractive cities um, how far should uh, society go in removing homeless people from the street or do they have a right to sleep in public spaces? Well, I mean, my personal opinion is that people have a right to, if, if, if there's no other place for them to be, then we have to deal with the fact that people have to sleep outside. That being said, we can do a lot better than that. And it's like, you're right, we shouldn't have people sleeping on the streets in front of these businesses because the people should have a better place to sleep. So, I mean, I think even though, you know, it, it's tempting to, to, uh, it's tempting to think badly of people who express those kinds of opinions, but I think they're, they're, there's a basis for coming together there. Just the idea that, you know, the sense of, Homelessness, people sleeping on the street, having a mental illness means you sleep on the street and eat out of trash cans. That, that's just, that's wrong. It's wrong for a number of different reasons. And if all the people who believe it's wrong get together without sort of being, you know, being down on each other for what, why they are coming to that table, um, if people can get together, they can solve this problem. And I think we've seen that in a lot of places. You know, Salt Lake City is an example. Not everyone who supports what Salt Lake City is doing is doing it because they believe that homeless people have a right to decent treatment. Um, some of them are doing it because they think it hurts business to have homeless people on the street. Nonetheless, the answer is still the same. I mean, you see communities who think, oh, we got to get rid of the homeless people. Let's lock them up. Well, that has been proven and not work over and over. If, if besides being wrong, I, I'm of the opinion that that's wrong. You're probably of the opinion that that's wrong. Not everybody is of the opinion that that's wrong. But the fact that it doesn't work and costs taxpayers incredible amounts of money, and then people, when they get out of jail, are right back on the streets again, and now they have a criminal record, so it's even harder for them to get a place to live. Um, that's not a matter of opinion. That's just fact. It's fact that that those kind of policies have bad effects and paying for people to get into housing. Right. No, that makes a lot of sense. You know, I just wanted to add to that is that, you know, there's sort of, at least with mental illness, because we've spoken a lot about it, there's almost, there's, well, it's not almost, there's a class divide there because people who come from uh, backgrounds of privilege, who have support of families and who have money to pay and resources available to them get world-class mental health treatment. They, you know, generally speaking, the people who have mental illnesses and not always um, who live on the streets are people who are of lower means who are lower class, who don't have the privilege sure. and the background to get the kind of treatment that they need. And that's why they end up there. But I want to actually sort of get away from talking about mental illness for a second and get back to talking about something I mentioned earlier about the group of what I'll call working homeless, because yeah. working homeless is a little different than a situation, somebody who's mentally ill. It's a situation that goes right to 
the heart of income inequality and the you know stagnant wages and people working several jobs and still and the housing not being affordable and so you have a whole group of people that work one to many jobs sometimes these aren't like you hear people say oh well these are just you know like I'm I'm you know pretending to be somebody else who doesn't like homeless people for a second oh these are just bums on the street and they don't work they just want to move you off the government and X Y Z and that's like a just blatantly untrue you have a lot of people that work that still can't afford housing that are not getting paid nearly as much minimum wage is stagnant we've talked about that on this show multiple times and that also contributes to a situation where you have working homeless so i was hoping that you could add to that well i think it's absolutely right i mean i was it's important to talk about things like mental illness when you talk about homelessness but the fact is most people who become homeless don't have a mental illness they don't have a disability they're just people who are used to supporting themselves by working, but for some reason, well, for some reason, for a couple of very specific reasons, uh, that's not working for them right now. And it's just exactly what you said. It's, uh, since the since the financial crisis of the of the late zeros, we've had a job market that doesn't really pay enough to afford housing, and now. The housing market is going crazy in a lot of places, so that's even more the case for people who's, who are, are not able to command sort of high wages. So this is, this is just a basic problem, as you said, of, any, of income inequality and the failure to provide some way of dealing with it. I mean, it's just interesting to think about, it, about housing as a basic human need and what our society as a whole working through the government does to help people with housing with other basic human needs we've got some sort of universal system set up to to help everyone i mean if you're working and you can't afford food you're eligible for the snap program it used to be called food stamps to to help with that now there's a lot of arguments about whether food stamps is, is sufficient or good enough but Everyone is eligible for that. For housing, there's nothing like that for housing. I mean, there's Section 8 public housing, but those are only, those are only funded by the U.S. Congress sufficiently to, for about a quarter of the eligible people to get help. Most people who can't afford housing don't get any help from the government mm. at all with that. Right. Yeah, no, and definitely. I mean, especially, I just want to, my, my at least final comment before we, um, you know, before Selena closes it out, and last question, I guess, is there's sort of this irony, right? Because the Pope came here this week, and the Pope is very much about, you know, the poor people and right. homeless people, et cetera. And yet you had a situation where the NYPD basically went into 125th Street in Harlem, broke up a lot of these homeless encampments, which seems like something the Pope wouldn't agree with, uh, just as a side comment. Um, and, you know, a lot of people have said that breaking up these encampments is really bad because sometimes in these encampments, even though these people who are also homeless that live together, they become sort of a family. They are mm-hmm. each other's support network. And so when you break up these encampments and people end up in different places, they sort of lose their friends, lose what they would consider their family and their network of support. Um, and so I guess uh, as of my final question is it, it, to you is, is that, is that actually true? And also why do we send in the police instead of sending in like licensed social workers to deal with these kinds of problems? Yeah. I mean, my feeling about encampments, I mean, I think you're right. In some cases, that can be a helpful survival mechanism for people who are living on the streets. I mean, living on the streets is very, very dangerous for people. The death rate 
for homeless people is about four times the death rate of people who aren't homeless when you when you take their age into account. Um, that being said, we can do a lot better than that. I mean, I, 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 homeless people deserve respectful treatment, and I don't know. I'm I don't know that many details about what went on the the incident you're describing. So it's hard for me to say, you know, no, that wasn't a respectful treatment. Yes, it was. But but the fact is, encampments are not good enough. We need to do better than that. Right. And I think that's a that's a place a lot of people can agree about. That. Right. And, no. and it's just let's let's do it. Come on, get you, going. We need to definitely get going. And I wanted to ask you, Steve, what solutions has the National Alliance and Homelessness proposed and implemented to combat homelessness? And what can we do on an individual level to combat this issue? Yeah, I think what what we're talking about is trying to make sure that the that the housing kinds of programs are available to every homeless person. That's basically the answer to this. And some of that is, is uh, you know, it's, it's a lot of it is a matter of money, and it's whether the U.S. Congress is going to get their act together to solve this problem. I mean, they've been talking about, we've been talking with them about this problem for years and years, but it's still, you know, the president has put out a budget request that has sufficient money in it to really make a big difference in this. And, and Congress is looking at that, and it's still a question of whether they'll put the money in. I mean, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to be the kind of person who gets up here and says, you know, the federal government should spend lots of money on everything in sight because there's a lot of things that the federal government spends money on that's not that useful. But the, the work that's been done on homelessness, the things that people working on this at the local level have done, is magnificent work, and it deserves to be funded at a level that every homeless person can get housing. Um, that, to me, is the, is the most important thing. And I think people need to seize hold of this issue and say, you know, we're sending people to Congress. They need to, they need to answer this. Right. Definitely. Again, thank you so much, Steve, for calling in today. And, you know, I, I, absolute, I absolutely agree with Steve that, you know, Congress does need to do um, more about the issue. Um, on that note, you know, I'm going back and forth in my head. You know, oh, let me just say again, thank you again, Steve, for calling in today. We appreciate you calling in. And guys, if you do want to, um, you know, contact him or anything, uh, he works at the National Alliance to End Homelessness. They have a great website. You can also follow them on Twitter. We've been tweeting them, so you can go under beheard underscore radio if you do want to um, find their handle. But um, you know, they, they, again, that coalition does so much. And um, you know, so I'm thinking in my head, and I'm going back and forth, and I'm like, okay, should should I say this or, or should I not say this? And, you know, well, homelessness, I haven't, you know, thank God, I have never experienced it from a firsthand basis, right? But my sister has, you know, she spent the first couple months of her life in homelessness and my father is homeless and it's because he suffers from mental health. And like, when I look, think of these issues and, you know, I have, you know, someone who I'm privileged enough to call friend, right, who is who was homeless as well. And, and it's, it's very real. And I think that us, when we go about our daily lives and we look at homeless people and, you know, in the back of our minds, we might call them bums or we might try to walk around them or stay away from it. And it's like we can't keep ignoring this problem. The government can't. We can't. Um, city officials can't. The police department can't. This is in overarching problem in our country and it takes us speaking up about it and I think that you know 
even for me on a personal level, it wasn't until it hit home where I was like, you know what, this is this is this is an issue. You know, the fact that I have a lady who comes by in front of my front yard and goes through my garbage and makes sure that she gets all of the bottles so that she can take it and, and you know, recycle it and get some money. You know, it, it's just I think that maybe that wouldn't have really resonated with me if it didn't hit home for me, right? But I don't think that us as a larger society, as a collective, should wait until we're homeless or somebody we know is homeless to start addressing these issues. We need to speak out about it right now. And again, that means contacting local officials, getting involved, making donations to places like the National Alliance to End Homelessness. And, um, continuing to fight this issue um, across the world. Um, And on that note, we are going to go on a quick break. But when we come back, we're going to talk about another advocate against homelessness. And his name is Papa Francisco, a.k.a. Pope Francis. So don't go anywhere.